and welcome to Reliving My Youth. My name is Noel Fogelman. My guest today, John Andrasik, better known as Five for Fighting. Five for Fighting had some major hits early on with 100 Years, Superman. We talk about those songs, but we talk about some of the deeper cuts, which are some of my favorite songs. John got a late start for a musician. We talk about that. We also talk about his transition now into working for TV and film. But naturally, this conversation starts off with hockey, my favorite and John's favorite. I'm, you know, I'm actually on the advisory board this year, and okay, and uh, <clears throat> I never thought I'd see us win, you know, a Stanley right. Cup. So, uh, no matter how bad it gets, I still look up those banners, and yeah. it's kind of like it's probably like you guys too, in a way. I mean. You know, I know it's been a long time for you guys, but but uh, I still have a lot of Islander friends. You know, you, right. when you win four in a row or you, you have that dynasty, it gives you a lot of uh, a lot of leeway for the next couple of decades. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm still I'm still kind of in awe in, in the in the you know the fact that I got to see the kind of golden age of Kings hockey is is, right. is great, especially that first cup where yeah. it kind of I don't know where eighth seed you know and make that fantastic run yeah i mean they only lost what three games the whole playoffs yeah i mean i was at every one of those series i was at the final game and yeah, yeah. it was surreal it was just you know you had to pinch yourself and uh that's why you know even with the guys struggling right now you know the quick and dowdy and brown and carter and you get frustrated but then you remember what they gave you and uh it's right. uh it's a gift yeah absolutely Absolutely. But, you know, it seems like you guys have the right people now. We'll see. I mean, Rob Blake's untested. You know, he trained under Dean Lombardi. But I think, you know, you could argue, you know, they were kind of naive the last couple of years, thinking they still had the window. And the Kovalchuk trade, you know, yeah. in retrospect, is kind of a disaster. But we'll see. You know, they got some good people in the farm system. But, you know, unfortunately, they none of the guys are playing well enough to be assets and to trade. And, you know, you never know, you know, I mean, Dean Lombardi's a friend of mine and, okay. and I kind of went through that with him and, and I like Rob, he's, right. you know, he's a good guy, but, uh, and Luke's a good friend, but, you know, it's all about results and we'll see where we are in three years. Yeah. We, we kind of had that too for a while. Garth Snow was just hanging around for, you know, seemed like forever. Yeah. And, new ownership was like enough is enough they got yeah Brillo and barry trotz fell in our lap and that's been a godsend trotz is amazing yeah yeah i mean it just shows you what coaching can do yep especially in this league so you know same players as the year before coaching yep. is, is absolutely fantastic but yeah did you ever try to play hockey growing up you know out of college i taught myself to skate and joined an adult league and my uh, my claim to fame is I, I scored a goal in my first game, right. which uh, which sounds pretty awesome. Until <clears throat> I tell you the reality of I was actually checked into the crease and somebody <laughs> shot a puck off my helmet into the net. Um, <laughs> but as a hockey fan, you know that's uh, that's a goal. <laughs> so exactly, that, yeah. that was my highlight. But no, yeah, I I, I played a little bit and right. certainly got a, a new respect on you know why these guys only play 40, 40 second shifts. I always wondered like, why are they only out there for 45 seconds? And then you play hockey and you understand why. Just why. Yeah. yeah. I played a little bit in high school, but uh, 
it's yeah, it's it's a rough one. It, it really is. Yeah. The, the ultimate team sport because yes. the best player only plays 20 minutes, 25 minutes. Exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. Were there any other like uh, hockey monikers that you were gonna call the band, or was that always five for fighting? Well, you know, it, the the name came out about in a, in a kind of a strange way. <clears throat> it was the late 90s, and the record company came to me and said, nobody can pronounce your last name, which is true. And uh, this is the age of boy bands and Lilith Fair and grunge music, and the male singer-songwriter is dead. So we we want you to come up with a band name. And I was frankly offended. And so sarcastically, I'd just come from a Kings game, and Marty McSorley had gotten in a fight. And I, I just spontaneously shouted out Five for Fighting, expecting them to hate it. And they're like, we love it. Yeah. And I'm like, you guys are nuts. You know, sounds like a heavy metal band. Yeah. And uh, but, you know, but there we were Five for Fighting. And, um, you know, it's been, I think, a beauty and a curse. I mean, there's certainly a big disconnect between the songs Five for Fighting and me, uh, which probably is a marketing strategy, isn't your best one. But right. it has allowed me to do many things in the sports world, you know, all-star games, Monday Night Football, you know, a lot of the you know, Heritage Classic, you know, playing the Kings Ducks, you know, Dodger Stadium game that, frankly, John Andrasik pro probably does not play, but Five for Fighting does. Yeah. So uh, there's uh, been some highlights in my career, you know, certainly based on the name. And Canada has always loved me, whether they like my music or not. Okay. <laughs> well, that's, yeah. I used to work for ESPN, and I worked the um, All-Star game where you performed. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah so it's a long time I saw you guys. But uh, do you, like, kind of prefer, like, hiding behind the band name a little bit? You know, there's something kind of cool about that, that it's really about the music. You know, I think, you know, the celebrity culture, you know, these days, you could argue, is is much more about image than content and, and uh, artistic ability. And so I've, it's never bothered me that um, – Pretty much everybody uh, who sat in a dentist chair or gone to a grocery store has heard one of my songs, but most of them have no idea who it is. So it's been kind of nice to have that anonymity. Um, so, yeah, it, it's always been about the music for me. I had success very kind of late in life, you know, for a musician. It was my late 20s. And I was just grateful to be able to have a career and to make records and to make music. And, and I, I feel that way today. And the fact that here 20 years later, you know, my songs are still out there and I'm still making new music and people are still buying a ticket. Uh, for me, that's that's the, the best career I could have asked for. Right. Now you're speaking of getting success, you know, late as a musician with, you know, Superman kind of blowing up. Does that kind of like, so to speak, keep you grounded as a person? I can't stand to fly. I'm not that naive I'm just out to find The better part of me I'm more than a bird I'm more than a plane I'm more than some pretty face Beside a train And it's not easy To be me Wish that I could cry Fall upon my knees Find a way to lie About a home I'll never see It may 
I think so because I saw, you know, you know, I basically struggled for a decade, you know, and I was passed on by every record company, and um, so when I did have success, uh, I realized how lucky I was, and also I, I realized it wasn't all about me, you know. So much of this business has little to do with talent; it has to do with kind of work ethic and relationships and all the stuff that goes into any business, and and being humble and keeping your head down and you know, not being afraid to fail, all those kind of cliches. And I think, you know, having success kind of late and, and going through that grind, I was I was very grateful. So that that's, I think, kept me grounded. And I've always, I, I always worked with the family business outside of music. So whenever, where I am right now. So when you come to the real world, that also kind of reminds you uh, that this kind of whole rock star thing is, it's fun and it's nice, but it's, it's very fleeting. But uh, no, I, I've always been kind of very grateful and my wife's a big part of my career and my parents and there's so many people that have helped me along the way and it's certainly been a, a team effort. Has any of your songs like appear on the radio while you're at work at the family business? Yeah, I mean, my, my uh, you know, our family business, we make things out of wire, uh, one of our big ones being shopping carts and one of the highlights of my life was to be able to buy one of my records with one of our shopping carts, you know, so it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it is not, it's, it's always amazing. Even to this day, if I hear my song, you know, on the radio or in the airport, or it's still like, wow, you know, right. I, I still sometimes have to pinch myself and, 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 you know, it was, it was a dream for so long. And, uh, and to have those songs still on the radio today, you know, 15, 16, 17 years later, that's, 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 pretty beautiful in its own right right and you know obviously your you know massive hits but the deeper cuts where you know maybe the i guess casual fan might not know are also fantastic and one of my favorite songs is the taste oh wow which, which i really like um it's a little different than what you would hear on the radio from from you uh, how did that song come about so i seen her in a land that was forgotten she brought a candle to my mind 
but it got no easier then. So I snuck out of her apartment. I went down to buy a premium, yeah. But all that settled was my mind. For a time till she showed me what a fire was. Suddenly it was a dozen And for a moment I was blind But for the time I caught a glimpse inside the universe there I couldn't handle the dimensions See two plus two can equal five, yeah So I sold off into a lamb But it was a scam and it giggled like it won the lottery, yeah Notice it if you were just kind of, as you said, uh, someone who listened to the hits. But I've always been a, a, a rocker. You know, I grew up on Zeppelin and The Who, and and I've always looked at Five for Fighting as a rock band. Right. Uh, the hits have certainly been more ballady, sentimental, kind of mid-tempo songs. But especially on the earlier records, they were rock records. Yeah, and, they were. Uh, and the taste, you know, is my best kind of Nirvana impression. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I love singing rock and roll and and that's probably my you know one of my harder rock songs and i used to perform it live and uh it it kept putting all this kind of weight on my voice you know after three or four days of playing the taste i'm like i can't sing anymore right so uh but no it's always fun you know i i've i've, I've always loved that kind of music i'm a, a child of the 70s and certainly the great singer songwriters and uh you know they would have they're ballads, but you know, for me, it was all about rock and roll, and the taste is is one of those songs. And and you're right, it's 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 wild to hear some of the deeper cuts, songs that were never even on the radio, right? That I'll hear, you know, it, it kind of walking around, and and that's 
There's a song called One More For Love that was on the Battle For Everything record that was never a single. songs exist and and as a true songwriter you know that's what really makes it special you know you know people know 100 years in superman but when you get requests for devil in the wishing well or nobody or the taste right. uh songs like that 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 really kind of as a songwriter uh kind of is is heartwarming and and um kind of refreshing in a way too yeah has your songwriting process changed since you began you know, I, I certainly don't write as many songs as I used to. You know, my life has changed. I'm in a different place. And when I was in my 20s, I I lived and breathed it. I, you know, I was 365 days a year, 15 of those hours. I was writing, recording, failing, going back to the drawing board, writing hundreds and hundreds of songs. And and certainly I don't do that as much anymore. A lot of the songs I write now are more for projects, you know, film, television, um, just because of time, but the actual, I think, goal and, and process of, of songwriting has not changed. Um, it's, you know, the, whether you start with the lyrics or the music or concept, um, it's still about kind of, you know, finding a hook and working it and writing lots of lyrics to get the 30 or 40 people here and, and uh, 
So it's, you know, I'd, I'd have to say it's it's the process and the goal is the same, but sometimes the the uh, the reason I'm writing and what I'm writing for has changed. Have any of your songs been personal experiences? Oh, yeah. You know, a, a lot of, you know, a lot of songs are either from experience or observation. There is a song called The Policeman's Christmas Party on the Two Lights record. Right. Uh, that certainly came from a kind of traumatic family experience. And so I think, you know, you can kind of see through my music when I had kids, you know, the, that record, the Two Lights record also is when my, you know, I had two, two year old and four year old. And so you can see the music become much less selfish, you know, when you have a family and you start looking at things differently and, and uh, your worldview kind of changes. And so you can certainly see how that's, kind of gone through my music and and um so yeah i think pretty much everything is either experience or observation and that's that's why that's what it's been for me right and a song you had uh michael jordan yeah like, yeah i mean it was i guess kind of cynical looking at like athlete worship you know worshipness i guess well uh, you're, going, you're going to do some deep cuts yeah no that yeah as i said it's kind of observational commentary and and i you know I wrote that song over 20 years ago. My shirt, my hat, my books, my trip to the zoo, my couch, remote, a large coke, yeah, I get on my knees. My God, if I could, I would give anything, I would give anything, I would give anything, I would give anything, I would get to. My job, my car, my cash, my house on the hill, my piano, I burn to ashes, yeah, I get on my knees, my God, if I could, I would give anything, I would give anything, I would give anything, I would give anything, I would get to I had no idea, you know, before the internet, you know, before Twitter and, and how athletes have become so iconic and the image has been so dominant and and we look at how it affects politics, culture, social um, norms and and yes, the deification of the athlete, you know, I think, you know, Michael Jordan was probably for my lifetime the, the first the first athlete who really became a global icon and and all that goes with that good and bad and and yeah that was a commentary on how we really you know we'd give anything to be this thing that we imagine of course when you're michael jordan or wayne gretzky it's never quite as easy or fun as we think it would be but uh yeah that was a comment on kind of idol worship and and how athletics has you know dominated this culture in certain ways and and uh and i tried you know 
some of my songs do look at those issues and and I think that's important, you know, as a songwriter. You don't want it to be all just, you know, cars and girls and yourself, you know, and and that's what that song was. Yeah. Now, like looking at like your career, you might say like an, aspi- an aspiring singer-songwriter might worship you. What what would you like come and think about that? Well, I you know, it's it's to the Charles Barkley thing, right? Are you a role right. model or not? It's like, you know, you are <laughs> whether you want to be or not <laughs> and uh so with success especially in the arts there will be people that um they're your fans just like i was a huge fan and am still a big fan of my idols billy joel elton john you know james taylor the beatles um pete townsend so you know and i've got to meet some of those people and i was like a you know a drooling lunatic i was so nervous to meet them and and so there are people, you know, when, when when Superman came out, people forget that the piano really was not on the radio anymore. It wasn't 1970 and it wasn't uh, Glass Houses and it wasn't Yellow Brick Road. The piano had kind of disappeared. So Superman um, kind of brought the piano back. And, and so there's kind of a, a, a range of young piano players who kind of found 100 Years in Superman to be like Elton and Billy were for me. So yeah, there, there are certainly people that you influence and that look up to you and that were inspired by you or imitate you. And, and, and as, as a songwriter, that's incredibly humbling and, and, and you hope to help them however you can. But the best way to do that is kind of do it the right way and be a good role model and, and uh, be a good person and try to do things with your music that help serve society. And, uh, it's always one of the great pleasures of my success is being able to um, educate or talk to young songwriters and some of them who've become successful and and mentor them along the way. Now we're we're recording this right after Veterans Day, mm-hmm. and you're very big performing for the troops and you know so support them as well. Um, how did that come about? Was that something that they came to you, the USO, or you actually reached out to them to start doing? You know, I, I people ask me if I have military in my family or if I was in the military, and, and I don't. Um, when Superman kind of first came out and during the first Iraq war, I would start getting uh, emails from troops in theater. And uh, they would be all across the board of, you know, I listen to your music before I go on a mission or when I come back from a mission or to get away or to focus or to think of home. And it really impacted me about how much music matters to the kind of morale and and mental health of of some of our troops and certainly as a songwriter and someone who whose career is based on freedom of expression you know these people uh and all the veterans before them have provided this this freedom we have in our country and so when that started happening i started corresponding with with them and learning with them and and uh uso asked me to go on a few tours and and uh, of course i was happy to do that and since then kind of retained some relationships and then started working with Gary Sinise and the Medal of Honor Foundation to do some work with our Medal of Honor recipients and various charities. And um, so I've always kind of been very grateful and a, and a great lover of our troops and the military families. And I'd start writing songs, every record, you know, Two Lights, Two Lights is a song about military families and Freedom Never Cries is about uh, our, our freedoms that sometimes I think we take for granted. I took a flag 
to a pawn shop for a broken guitar. I took a flat to a pawn shop. How much is that guitar? I took a flat to a pawn shop. I got me that guitar. What's a flag in a pawn shop to me? I saw a man on the TV in a mask with a gun. A man on the TV, he had a ten-year-old son. I saw a man on the TV, his son had a gun. Cherished freedom, freedom never cries. I wrote a song for a dead man to settle my soul. A song for a dead man, and now I'll never grow old. I wrote a song for a dead man. The song to a dead man, to me. I never loved the soldier until the world's a war. I thought about tomorrow till my baby hit the floor. I only talk to God when somebody's about. Never cherished freedom. Freedom never cries. You can cry for her, die for her, lay down your life for her, kiss and wave goodbye to her. Anything. There were songs that kind of had these themes and then were certain events. And then we did, as you probably know, the CD for the Troops Project, where we got the biggest stars in the world and their songs and and gave them to the troops around the world. So it's been, a, you know, now a 20 year passion of mine. And uh, yeah, you were, we're right after Veterans Day. But like many people like to say, you know, to me, every day is Memorial Day. Every day is Veterans Day. And and uh, our, our our troops are kind of why we are and who we are and how we can have all these squabbles and and they're uh, they're amazing people. Yeah, you're absolutely right, absolutely right. Now, in this your 100 year song, you predicted kind of like a midlife crisis for yourself at like age 45. That <laughs> I was right. Yeah. <laughs>
That's the nice thing about 100 years is that uh, you're always somewhere in the song, um, as opposed to Superman, which, uh, to be honest with you, I could not write today uh, because I've realized in the last 20 years that it's pretty easy to be me. Uh, 100 years is a song I could write today because uh, I'm now in the bridge and uh, pretty soon I'll be in the vamp. And uh, <laughs> even though I wrote it kind of in my early 30s, you know, I, I certainly remembered being 15 and and uh, and as a young man. So, yeah, when I was 
when I turned 45, you know, I kind of my career was kind of bubbling and kind of about to tip to the downside. And and, uh, you know, like most men, you hit your late 40s, early 50s. It's, it's kind of the melon melancholy years. So, yeah, I, I was right about that one. But uh, but I'll get through it just like we all do. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm 44 right now, so I'm like kind of teetering uh, on that. Enjoy yeah. your last couple of years. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, we just had a newborn, so I better oh. hang around a little longer. <laughs> I'll keep you young. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no doubt. <laughs> no doubt. Yeah. I recently saw The Blind Side for the first time. I've never seen it before on cable a couple weeks ago. And your song, Chances, was uh, closing credits, which fantastic song. I knew right away. Um, have many like of your songs, like, do you get contacted by companies for you know, TV shows or movies, or how how often does that occur? Or do you write solely for? I know Chances wasn't solely for Blindside, but has that happened a lot? Yeah, I've been very lucky uh, to have a lot of licensing within film and television, and and I have you know uh, had both my songs, existing songs used like like Chances in the Blindside, and I have written to script to film. For example, a couple years ago, I, I wrote the music for the end title for the hundredth episode of Hawaii Five-0. And I'm actually doing a few film projects now where I'm writing original songs, um, for the pieces. And, um, no, it's been a blessing, you know, it, back in the day, licensing wasn't a huge part of a musician's career, but since kind of the music industry has dried up and record sales are kind of non-existent and going to streaming and all that licensing has become a, a much more lucrative income stream for, for songwriters. And um, and it's fun. I, I really like I really like writing uh, to film or television because you you have an existing piece of content that can inspire you. So it's not like, oh, I need to write a song for my record and here's a big whiteboard and starting from scratch. You know, you either have a script, a scene, um, something to start with, and it's not all dependent on the song. So writing for for, for film and television and imagery is different. It's a different process. And it's kind of like a homework assignment. You do one and then you're done. You don't have to spend two years making a record. Right. So I have a lot of fun doing that. And, and I'm doing, you know, I'm doing frankly more of that now than just writing songs for song's sake. Because um, it, it's fun and I get to work with people and it's a collaboration. And uh, at the end of the day, if you have the right imagery and the right song, uh, there's really nothing better. And you mentioned the you know the business right now with streaming and record sales. Uh, it's got to be a double-edged sword with streaming because your music gets out there so easily and people can discover it and listen to your old catalog, but yet you make pennies off it. Like, I mean, I, obviously you want to make money off your records, but it's got to be a, a difficult dilemma for you. Well, not so much for me. I mean, I, I was very lucky. I caught the last wave. Uh, you right, know, when right. Superman was a hit, you could still sell records. And um, and but you're right. Uh, the, the thing I worry about with the new kind of dynamic is, you know, can musicians, can songwriters make a living? And uh, I don't want music to just become a hobby because it's so important to the culture. And now streaming is catching up, um, even though the age of the album is dead, which for me breaks my heart because, you know, you talked about a song earlier, Michael Jordan, that would never be a single. But to me, as a, as, a, as a music fan, usually my favorite songs on my favorite artists are not the hits. Right. They're, you know, it's New York State of Mind, right? You know, it's, uh, it's those songs. 
that really define an artist and that that kind of give them the breadth of career than just putting out a single every six months right have it be a hit for a couple months and then go away and 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 i think it's going to affect you know if you look 10 20 years from now the songs that are popular now will we still be hearing those songs and i think there's a lot of reasons for that but i i do miss the album i do do miss um the kind of work that went into making a record but on the other hand as you said it's never been easier for people to hear your music right. and it, it has basically taken the lock and chain off record companies. You know, when I came up, if you didn't have a record company, it'd be very hard for people to hear your music. And now, frankly, it's easier uh, to have a career without a record company. And you can sell 30,000, 40,000 records and, and tour and sell 1,000 seats a night and have a great career without a record company. And that's directly because of YouTube and the internet and the fact that we can make records on our laptop and instead of spending $2,000 a day, we can spend $2,000 a song. So it makes it a lot easier for songwriters and musicians to make music and be heard. So, you know, with any technology, there's pluses and minuses. And, and I love the fact that, you know, kids, young songwriters now have the ability to, to make records that can compete sonically and, do it relatively cheap and have people hear it and then let uh, the market decide. Yeah. Would If you were coming up now, would you solely go onto YouTube and put your music up there rather than try to search for a record deal? You know, my thing was do everything. You know, I think you, 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 you don't want to eliminate any, any possible um, strategy, but you wouldn't solely be dependent on record companies. And even when I was at the label, you know, it was kind of dying, you know, the whole artist development thing that happened in the 70s and 80s and 90s, where you could be Bruce Springsteen and make two or three records that failed and then crack it on your fourth record. That was starting to go away. So even though, you know, there were record companies and there still are record companies now, um, the days of artist development are, are kind of gone. So you kind of have to do it yourself and you'd have to do that anyway. So. You know, I think there's still some great people at record companies, great people at publishing companies, develop great managers. There's a lot of ways to go. Um, but at the end of the day, it's still about writing a lot of songs, writing good songs, uh, playing a lot of gigs, uh, being willing to develop the relationships with uh, executives at television companies, at media companies, at ad companies, film companies within the touring community, developing relationships with other bands, um, producers, uh, studios, you know, all that stuff where you just kind of, you, you got enough stuff out there and you got your songs out there and hopefully somebody will hear it and it'll pop. And, and you have to do all that. And then even then it's subjective and there's no guarantees. But, you know, I, I, I'm sure if, if it was, if I was starting now when I was 22, I'd, I'd still have that kind of dream of, doing whatever it takes till uh, till the world tells me I can't. And I don't know if that day would ever come. Right. Do you remember where you were the first time you heard one of your songs on the radio? I was driving on the 405. It was a song called Last Great American. My friend Nicole Sandler played it on a local AAA station. And uh, I started crying like a baby. Couldn't believe it. And, uh, yeah, I remember. Yeah, it sounds like you do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I know you have a couple, obviously, you know, great sports moments with the Kings winning two cups. What's your greatest sports heartbreak? Oh, God. Well, 
I grew up a Laker fan, um, and uh, certainly some of those some of those Celtics Lakers finals um, right. would ruin my summers, but we'd won a couple, right? Yeah. So I think uh, till the Kings won, it was probably the the Marty McSorley stick uh, penalty yeah. against the Canadians. Uh, where we thought we had our first Stanley Cup. Right. After that, I thought we'd never see it. Uh, I didn't realize we'd just have to wait for 20 years. But yeah. uh, it was uh, it was truly a bucket list kind of dream come true sports moment, winning the Stanley Cup with the Kings in 2012 and being there. And, and then 2014 with my son standing next to me, something I never thought I'd ever see. And to watch that Kings team do that in Los Angeles – you know, we embraced Wayne Gretzky. The whole landscape changed when Wayne Gretzky came. But to be at that uh, Kings parade, I think the whole world was shocked to see what hockey really m- means to Southern California. And, and it's been, uh, it's you know, to this day, I'll, I'll, it'll be the, the greatest sports moment of my life, that 2000. I cried like a baby. Right. My wife took a picture. <laughs> that picture, for some reason, ended up, on every King's executive screensaver, <laughs> all right? To this day, me right. at the 2012 is on Luke Robotai's screensaver. That, so that's all you need to know. <laughs> yeah. that, that, that's great, yeah. And in 93, that was, yeah, I don't think anyone was beating Patrick Waugh that year. He was he was Patrick Waugh, the wink. Thomas. Yeah. Hill. Yeah, thanks, Patty. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah, because the Islanders had that. Crazy run at year. They beat the Penguins in double overtime game seven, so they had that going. But I don't think they weren't going to beat the, the Canadians that year. And uh, yeah. but yeah, that was that was exciting. We had to wait 23 years just to win a playoff series. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but things are and, up. and and trade John Travaris to do it. <laughs> yeah, I know. But yeah, but they've actually done better without him. So yeah, it's it's one it's amazing. That's hey, that's yeah. sports, man. Yeah, exactly, sports. exactly. But, John, this was great. I appreciate the time today. My pleasure. Nice talking, you, Noel. And a special thanks to John for joining me today. Go follow him on Twitter at John Androsnik. The website is fiveforfighting.com. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at the first noel 19 Be sure to like the page Living My Youth on Facebook. Go to iTunes, check out all the past episodes we've had. While you're there, please rate and review the show. Don't have iTunes, not a problem. Shows on SoundCloud, it's also on Podbean. Go to livingmyyouth.threadless.com for all your merchandise. Get a very late present right now. Hat, t-shirt, onesie, phone case, whatever. A new episode comes out every Wednesday, and we'll see you next week.